This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Hello. Hello, Becca. Hello, intersectional listeners. Hi, Ryan and everybody. Uh, we are here today talking about... Um, I'm so excited about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So we decided we needed to lighten up a little bit from, you know, like rape and Nazis and stuff. So today we're going to talk about the undying love that is Kirk and Spock. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, you know, Garrick and Bashir, because they're also definitely like in love. Yeah, that's right. We're doing a, a slash fiction two part episode or the origins of the origins of the origins of slash fiction. So we, we didn't actually read any fan fiction for in preparation of this. But um, if you didn't know, um, the origin of slash fiction, which is mostly gay fan fiction um, taking place between characters who are not explicitly gay on screen and uh, makes up a lot of fan fiction. Um, this really began with Kirk and Spock mm-hmm. and uh, is now an entire genre of the internet yep. and the world. What, what, what would be reams and reams and reams of... Uh good to terrible fan fiction has been written about Kirk and Spock and uh, Draco and Harry Potter and uh, I think like a smaller, significantly smaller amount for Garrick and Bashir. Um, And then other like... Luke and Han. Oh yeah. Batman and Robin. Although that (laughs) Batman and Robin might just be text. Yeah. Let us know what you think. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's another example. The Winchester brothers in Supernatural, which is also like also their brothers. So anyway, so there's a whole world out there if you haven't discovered it already. Um, of Seven of Nine and Captain Janeway. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, if only their love was real. <laughs> um, so we wanted to kind of explore this for ourselves and um, it is serves as the jumping off point for our discussion today. Uh, And we watched a bunch of episodes in order to gather information uh, about what goes on on screen. So we're doing like super quick summaries today um, and I'm going to let Ryan kick it off. So uh, we started with Shore Leave, which to be honest, we didn't watch the whole thing, but we watched the pre-credits scene and you should too. Uh, Kirk thinks that Spock is giving him a massage. That's it. A little, little higher, please. Push, push hard. <laughs> On the bridge of the Enterprise and is disappointed to find out that it is a female yeoman and asks her to stop. Thank you, yeoman. That's sufficient. Uh, go watch it. It's on YouTube. Uh, the next episode is Amok Time. 
season two, episode one, September of 1967. In the throes of his Ponfar mating period, Spock must return to Vulcan to meet his intended future wife, betrothed from childhood. Then we watched Mirror Mirror, season two, episode four, October of 1967. Kirk, McCoy, Scotty, and Uhura find themselves in a mirror universe aboard a parallel enterprise run by ruthless barbarians. We watched Journey to Babel, Season 2, Episode 10, November 1967. The Enterprise hosts a number of quarreling diplomats, including Spock's father, but someone on board has murder in mind. Um, and then finally, we also watched Star Trek The Motion Picture, which came out in December of 1979, um, so that you don't have to. <laughs> Please do not watch this unless you are on drugs. Yeah, we're like pretty sure I that am... it was built for people on acid. So yeah. if you want to do that, you know, I'm not like saying use illegal drugs, but yeah, maybe do that. Use something. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, my parents saw it. My dad has really fond memories of it. It's very long. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, summary. After ongoing somewhat unsuccessfully the Vulcan ritual of Kulinar... Spock returns to the Enterprise to help Kirk investigate a strange artificial life form that has been traversing the galaxy, destroying planets and ships, and stop it before it reaches Earth. Spock tries to bond with the life form, V'ger, while Kirk struggles to emotionally connect with Spock and regain his footing as a starship captain after a few years as an admiral at Starfleet headquarters. Um, awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Um... Originally, yeah. when we were when we were talking about making this episode, what we wanted to find out is how textual the romance between Kirk and Spock is, mm. and so and we found some pretty good evidence, yeah. uh, and we found a, a number of other things that it, we think are interesting. But we're going to start out with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we have the back rub scene which i feel like between season one and season two must have given people like a lot of fodder and then we begin season two with a muck time which is spock is in his sexual heat mm -hmm. and kirk has to save him by wrestling with him yeah it's kind of it's it's ridiculous and i also love this episode um basically everybody finds out that Spock is betrothed at the same time. He's like never talked about this woman before at all. And they're all like, go what? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so he has to go to Vulcan and participate in this ritual so that he can uh, relieve the angst of his heat and also get married. Yeah, because it's, it's the 60s. He's got to get married first. Yeah. And Vulcans are very logical. The like... This is a time when the the normally logical Vulcans are like uh, totally not operating logically or something like that. Yeah, and they're very embarrassed about it. Like they're embarrassed that they have sexual desires. They're embarrassed that they're overcome by emotion. They don't want any aliens or outsiders to like even know that this happens. Mm -hmm. What kind of biology? Vulcan biology. You mean the biology? Of Vulcans? There's no need to be uh, embarrassed about it, Mr. Spock. It happens to the birds and the bees. The birds and the bees are not 
Balkans, Captain. Um, and then his fiance is like, I don't really want to marry you, so I'm gonna challenge this, and I get to pick my challenger who's gonna like fight you to the death, and then she picks Kirk. Mm -hmm. And Kirk is like, I'm down, but he doesn't know it's to the death, so they fight each other, and Bones very cleverly like injects Kirk with something that makes him pass out and appear to be dead, and then uh, Spock is relieved. Mm -hmm. His like sexual tension is relieved by winning the fight mm -hmm. with his best friend Kirk. Mm -hmm. Um, which is all very, it's, it's all very sexy. Yeah. And he's like, they're like wrestling at one point and like, like on top of each other. I got some pretty great screen grabs. Maybe we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll figure out a way to share those with y'all. <laughs> but, but I think that the, the real textual evidence from this episode is how elated and emotional Spock is upon mm. finding out that Kirk didn't die. And this is after his Ponfar has been <laughs> relieved and um, he shouldn't be emotional anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he's like very calmly on the ship talking about how like, okay, I'll be intermediate, like meteor captain, but like you guys maybe want to lock me in the brig. Like how are we going to handle this? I killed the captain. And then, uh, J Captain Kirk shows up and Spock's like, Jim, you're not dead. Oh my God. Captain. Jim. I'm pleased to see you, Captain. You seem uninjured. <laughs> and then he goes back like into his Vulcan oh um it's very good to see you captain yeah and he's like smiling his whole face lights up it's just like this like genuine joy and like emotional outburst which I feel like adds adds more to the textual evidence of like this emotional bond between them yeah I was like uh I was watching this episode and I think like to pick out a couple intertractions, there's a weird, like, kind of cultural appropriation thing going on in the in the costumes of all of the Vulcans. Uh, they look like they're supposed to be space samurais, basically. Oh, yeah. And the repeated kind of notion that Dupring, who is Spock's betrothed, will become Spock's property. Mm. Like, there's this line, thee are prepared to become the property of the victor, which T'Pau, who is, like, the matriarch that's in charge of, like, puppeteering everything that's going on here, says to T'Pring. I just thought it was important to call that out. And it feels very un-Vulcan in terms of, like, the larger canon. Hmm. Like, women belonging to men would seem to be illogical. I mean, I also but think it's knows? illogical. Like, I also think it's illogical to uh, suppress your emotions and hide, like, behind kind of a wall of shame about your sexuality. Yeah. Like... Yeah. Especially to this extent. Yeah. Especially to the extent where it's, like, Spock could have died. Or he could have, like, let them know when he joined Starfleet, like, every seven years, thereabout, I'm gonna have to go back to Vulcan, or I will die. Urgently, no matter how, like, important a di diplomatic happening is. So the, the Enterprise is, like, en route to another planet, not Vulcan, to bear witness to the, um induction of some um, political bigwig. So they like, there's, oh this, there's this kind of farcical sequence where they divert uh, or they like keep changing course and Sulu and Chekhov are like, oh, are they going to make us change course again? <laughs>
Yeah. Uh, so uh, they're really cute. At some point, I would I would like just like love to discuss with you on or off the air just like all of the Ponfar episodes. Oh yeah. Like a- across the series, like I'm pretty sure um, Tuvok uses the holodeck. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point, Balana goes into Ponfar for some reason. It's a whole thing. Like apparently, it's you can catch it. <laughs> she- <laughs> She catches it from a Vulcan. <laughs> so she can try to hook up with Tom. Um, oh my goodness. I'm off topic. That's um, okay. Um, did you have any thoughts about Mirror Mirror, the original Mirror Universe episode? Oh my god, so many thoughts. Um, so I think the, like, the textual evidence for the Kirk Spock love is definitely like heavy in this episode because... Um, in the mirror universe, even mirror, mirror universe Spock, who is a member of the Terran Empire, known across the galaxy for its ruthlessness and its willingness to like destroy entire planets to get what it wants. And people, people like, they move up in rank by assassinating each other. Yeah. So there's just betrayal right and left. Right. And yet... Uh, Mirror Universe Spock with his pointy goatee is loyal to Kirk even then in this universe. Even when Starfleet orders him to kill Kirk. Yeah. He's like, Starfleet has given me like six hours to see if you fulfill the mission or not. And the the mission is like killing a bunch of people. Um, And if you don't, I'm going to have to kill you. And he warned, not only does he not want to kill him, but he warns him. I received a private communication from Starfleet Command. I am committing a breach of regulations by informing you of its contents. I am instructed to wait until planet dawn over principal target to permit you to carry out our mission. And if I don't? I am ordered to kill you. Which in and of itself is like breaking some rule. Mm -hmm. And then Kirk also like goes out of his way not to kill evil Spock, even though he knows the evil Spock is going to try to kill him. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, I love you, fake my friend. (laughs) You're not my real friend, but you look like him. Right. And, And they're both like eager to get back to their own universe's person. Yes. They're like, I need my captain back. Oh, and, like, our universe. Spock, like, immediately clocks that the um, four crew members who were, like, transposed in this transporter accident are, like, not his version of these people. And I think a lot of it is to do with uh, Kirk's Kirk's demeanor. Mm -hmm. And so at least Spock, Spock in our universe, our universe, is attuned to Kirk's normal behavior. Yeah, they know each other really well. He knows his captain's body language really well. Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably would be true for, like, anyone's, like, work spouse. Because, mm-hmm. like, if nothing else, these two are, like, work spouses, right? Oh, yeah. But at this, it, it just it feels like his fierce loyalty to him feels like more than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely there. Oh! Yeah, also there's this beautiful woman throwing herself at Kirk constantly and he's just like not into it yeah he's just kind of like well I don't think this is ethical or this is what I think he's thinking in his in the back of his mind while he's interacting with this woman Marlena who who she herself is like aspiring to be 
a captain's woman um, or like potentially eventually a Caesar's woman because in the mirror universe, Caesar is like the ultimate power. Right. She, at one point, she's like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to go, well, I'll go through every captain in the fleet if I have to. And Kirk says, uh, I bet you could. And she's like immediately offended that he would agree with this statement and because it's like implying that she's slutty. And then he's like, no, no, but you can be anything, like, yeah. in kind of a feminist mentality. But yeah. uh, but I think he's one He's trying of... to treat her with respect. Yeah. Yeah, and... I think he's like, I'm not the I'm not the Kirk that you think I am. We're not going to be making out. And she gets, like, super offended. Yeah, he eventually, like, reluctantly kisses her just to, like, I think possibly ensure her loyalty and also, like, I don't know give a band-aid to her bruised ego. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's also fan service. It's hot. He kisses the hot girl. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, the the counterpoint, I think that the explanation we've laid out is probably what's intended by the writers, but if you're watching this in the 60s as a person who wants these two characters to be gay, you're like, he doesn't even want the hot chick. Mm -hmm. All he wants to do is get back to Spock. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Yeah, it was really great. Oh, also, um, she wears this like amazing see-through caftan that's like totally psychedelic, and I'm just obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, and everybody in the mirror universe who's a lady is like has an exposed midriff. Oh, which which carries on in Enterprise. Um, if you are an Enterprise holdout, just like just go watch the mirror episodes in season four. They're just like pure fan service. There's no point to them. They know they're gonna get canceled and they're just like we gotta kill some time. They make some mirror episodes. Um yeah. Which also has Hoshi trying to be a captain's woman. Like mm. they just completely recreate this dynamic. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's like, well, here's the limited opportunities of women, and and I think that they're using this as a another way to signify that the mirror universe is more brutal, is that mm-hmm. women are more objectified and like right. more subservient. Yeah, and they need to sleep their way through the ranks in order to advance at all. Yeah, um, and then also just like. Asterix, Intertraction, um, Marlena, who was played by a, a woman named Barbara Luna. Uh, Barbara Luna was Italian, Portuguese, and Filipino, and uh, played a lot of Hispanic and also um, Asian or Pacific Islander characters. So while Kirk won't kiss Uhura for another year in real time, um, he does make out with a woman of color, although she is passing in this episode. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Ahura, her mirror universe alternate is apparently fending off aggressive sexual advances from Sulu all the time. <laughs> um, yeah. And later in the episode, like, uses that to our universe's crew's advantage by creating a distraction uh, using her feminine wiles. And it's, it's, it's like a very kind of honeypot type of narrative. Yeah. And I'm like, she could have done anything else to make a distraction, but this is what we get. It so. was low-hanging fruit, though. It was low-hanging fruit. She knew, she knew it would be pretty easy. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm not going to go out. I really want to go off on a Sulu tangent and I'm going to contain it. <laughs> um, For another day. We get to Journey of Babel uh, where Kirk has to do 
a lot of emotional labor mm-hmm. on Spock's behalf to get him to reconcile with his parents, which feels very much like a girlfriend job to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I so he's like totally having a meet the parents moment. Yes, where he's like coming across as the like good child while while Spock's in the doghouse, and it's like it's so exactly a couple yeah. like type interaction of of. Oh no, here's my mom and dad. Uh go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and I think this is the first time that we we all realize that Spock is actually half human. I think bef- mm. in episodes before this he'd alluded to his human heritage but had like downplayed it like until his mom shows up. And, like the doctor clocks it, he's like I always knew you were a little bit more human. I'm like, "Did you? You're anyway." Yeah. <laughs> uh but it feels very much like this weird, like, Kirk and Spock's relationship are, like, mirrored by Spock's dad and Spock's mom, Amanda, who's from Earth. And, like, Kirk and Amanda are having this, like, bonding moment over being the emotional ones mm. and, like, trying to understand Spock and, like, trying to understand their husband and, like, scheming on, like, getting them to, like, work it out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, did, that was my read of that scene. Spock is my best officer and my friend. I'm glad he has such a friend. It hasn't been easy on Spark, neither human nor Vulcan. At home, nowhere, except Starfleet. I take it that Spark disagreed with his father on a choice of career. My husband has nothing against Starfleet, but Vulcans believe that peace should not depend on force. Starfleet forces use only as a last resort. We're an instrument of civilization. And it's a better opportunity for a scientist to study the universe than he could get at the Vulcan Science Academy. Perhaps. But Sarek wanted Spark to follow his teachings as Sarek followed the teachings of his own father. They're both stubborn. A human trait, Captain? Yeah, I think that that makes sense. I mean, Kirk's also kind of busy dealing with a murder investigation and um, trying to keep all of the uh, diplomatic dignitaries calm on his ship, which just very quickly, the costumes in this episode are amazing. There's there's more translucent caftans, and there's also, like, uh, one one of the species has... Um, these giant puffy jackets with like panels of silver um, armor or whatever. And it's just like, I want to live there. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And they have like two two aliens where their whole thing is they're just, they're, someone just like spray painted them gold in the back lot or something. Mm-hmm. Like it does not look mm-hmm. good or healthy. <laughs> yeah, some of it is more slapdash than the others, but it's like, Oh, they're, so they're at this ambassadorial banquet, which is where you get the panoply of all of these alien costumes. And also the food that's like on display there is all sorts of primary colors and like jello or something. Uh, yeah. And anyway, it's amazing. I would say just watch this episode because um, it's great, but yeah. also for the costuming. This, this episode's pretty important to the overall canon in terms of like what happens in the movies later and what happens with like new Kirk and Spock and even what happens in Discovery like Mm -hmm. uh, Spock's parents show up a lot from now on 
there's this whole other plot where his dad is injured and like needs a blood transfusion from Spock and Spock won't give the blood transfusion because he doesn't want to abandon his post because Kirk is also injured. And so then Mr. Scott would have to be in charge of the ship, which would just, I don't know, be terrible for some reason. And like everyone's trying to get Spock to logically ignore his duty and he won't. So Kirk is like, obviously... I just have to tough out my injury so Spock will go help his dad. And he's like on the bridge pretending not to be injured, like telling Spock he's fine. And Spock is just looking at him with so much concern. Mm. And he's like, dude, I'm fine. Like, go see your dad. It's okay. And Mm -hmm. like as soon as he leaves the bridge, he like collapses yeah, because he got stabbed in the back. Because, yeah. Like, in yeah. the spleen or yeah, something. Yeah, like, he's got a really serious injury, but he's, like, he knows this is the only way he can, like, save his friend's father and just, like, the amount of, like, emotional devotion in this situation to, to like, deal with the emotions he knows his friend isn't dealing with. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this episode. I, of all of the ones that we watched, I think I liked this one the most. And, oh, there's a, there's a couple other interactions that I wanted to mention. Um, there's, like, most of McCoy's lines are, well, I can't treat Vulcans, or, like, I don't know how to do this surgery because Vulcans, and uh, we don't have enough blood on hand because Vulcan blood... It's medical discrimination. Yes. Like, you have a Vulcan officer. You should be able to treat Vulcans in your medical bay, in your sick bay. But Bones just keeps being like, we can't treat Vulcans here. Um, which, which, like, yeah. what? What? Yeah, no, it, it's pretty It's pretty bad. And I, I think it, it also, I think this episode also just, like, highlights for the first time the, the fictional intersections that Spock lives at. Like, the mm-hmm. most clearly. And, like, Amanda emphasizes that, you know, he's alone in both worlds, um, only at home in Starfleet. And it, it mirrors it mirrors the struggles that other people go through as, as part of uh, marginalized groups or people who are biracial or um, people who are out of place because they're a different religion than everyone else. Um, it's just, he is this character who's grown up so completely alone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I don't, it's, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're intertractional. <laughs> I am, I am not, I don't know if I'm the best person to speak to this, but I, I feel like we should clock it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and that's like, as we were watching these episodes, kind of got into not just observing Kirk and Spock's interactions, but also like the the ways that Star Trek is thinking about these types of issues. I mean, it's played to kind of like up the tension mm-hmm. where they're like, this is, uh, we, we definitely need Spock for this operation urgently. Otherwise, Sarek, his dad is going to die. So then, you know, it leads to Kirk kind of stepping in. Yeah, so, you know, medical discrimination is a real thing. Vulcans are not. And yeah, then, no, and Bones should have this training. In like, the same way that, that any ridiculous. medical professional should have the ability to interact with people from a lot of different cultures, a lot of different ethnic backgrounds. Uh, I think a lot of the experience or the, the language around pain especially is very culturally determined. So, yeah, so I wanted to, to call that out. 
Um, and then there was one other moment of like dismissal of, of a woman while she's literally standing there. So um, Sarek and Spock, after uh, Sarek is, is revived, oh. have their his mom slash Sarek's wife, Amanda, is standing between their two beds. Um, being like, oh, you know, like making fun of her. Yeah, they're making fun of her for being excited that her husband didn't die, and like grateful for her son for saving his life. And so she's like, de- she's like displaying emotion. One does not thank logic, Amanda. Logic, logic. I'm sick to death of logic. Do you want to know how I feel about your logic? Emotional, isn't she? She has always been that way. Indeed. Why did you marry her? At the time, it seemed the logical thing to do. And they're just like totally talking past her. It's like, I don't yeah, like it. Yeah, no, it, no, it, it sucks. It I feel like plays into this trope of like to- toxic masculinity, mm. where um, men deny their feelings, and here she's been wanting them to get in touch with their feelings this whole episode, that way they can forgive each other and bond. And instead of acknowledging her and like saying that they have, they're like, oh no, we no longer have feelings, but we're on the same side. Mm-hmm. So like they're signaling to each other that they're okay. They're signaling to her that their relationship is okay while making fun of her and dismissing her. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness Kirk is in the room because like he kind of gives everyone a look. He knows that this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and... Yeah, he's like, come on, guys, why are you even having this argument? I got stabbed earlier today. <laughs> right. <laughs> Give it a break. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah meet the parents in space uh, yeah it was um, great yeah should we talk about star trek the motion picture yeah can we try to there's so much to say about this film we should try to stay on track a little bit uh i don't know if we can on track oh on track as in like sticking to the topic of kirk slash spock yes okay yeah, I mean, we can we can try to get it out of our systems really quickly. What did you think of Star Trek the Motion Picture? Okay, I have a lot of feelings about this. So if I'd ever seen the Motion Picture, it was like when I was really little, to the point of not remembering at all. So we watched it recently, and the whole time I was like, I should be on acid right now because I think if I was on acid, I would really enjoy the parts of the movie that are like oh. slow with orchestral music playing and they're like showing some kind of beautiful space scenery or they're being like really, really dramatic about the um, about the Enterprise that's in dry dock oh and retrofitted. There's a five minute scene just of looking at the outside of the ship while yeah. music is playing and... Kirk and Scotty are just staring at the ship. Yeah. It really feels like a lot of this episode is like, you know what? Everybody, like, the reason that people really love Star Trek, it's because of the ship, the Enterprise. (laughs) It's so (laughs) terrible. It's like, also, okay, so it was nominated for Academy Awards for visual effects, uh, special effects, and music, which are three things that are, like, the most dated and annoying watching the film today. I think they could have cut out an hour of just, like, music and visuals. Yeah, no, it's really slow, so there's, like, um... I'm not exaggerating. I think what I what I compare it to is, like, kind of modern blockbuster films have, like, a lot 
of minutes of epic clashes and battle that you're just like things are whizzing past your head and like swords and I don't know guns and aliens and whatever and it's like if you took those scenes and replaced them with like really slow iTunes visualizer <laughs> that's what you would get from the motion picture yeah. I will say though that the visual effects are on point if they spent less time on them if they weren't like uh, look at how amazing our models are that we built. And it would it would totally work because they look great. Yeah. Like they're f- real physical models. No, they just, they need to support it with actual story. Yes. It needs to not take up just like so much time. Like maybe if people were having conversations while we were looking at this. Mm. If anything were happening. It was more integrated. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, oh no, we're in another tunnel. There are more lights. <laughs> yeah. I just uh, have to laugh though. During the scene while they're like panning slowly and lovingly over the Enterprise, yeah. Kirk and Scotty are in like a little shuttle thing. And I just had this lot of like, how was it to direct that scene? <laughs> you're like, just pretend that you're looking at a, your most favorite object for like a long time. Yeah, they're really blissed out. Okay, so I watched this like 10 years ago. I remembered two things about it. One, I remembered how hurt Kirk was that like Spock wasn't being emotional. Because by the time you end the series, they're like good old buddies. Yeah. And when you start the motion picture, it's kind of like reset. And Spock is like cold and logical and like... He hasn't seen any of these people in a while. He's not excited to see them. He's like, eh. And Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I remembered was just like Spock floating through space towards the giant robot thing in an orange jumpsuit. (laughs) Those were the two things I remembered. I thought it was completely boring. But I missed a lot of the the gay subtext. Mm. And I really should give credit to this essay on the fashionable tinfoil accessories blog by Ray Kaiser called This Simple Feeling and Beyond Kirk and Spock's Place in Queer History that really lays out a very convincing argument for Kirk and Spock consummating their emotional love from the series in the movie. Mm. The crux of this argument is that it's a remarriage comedy. So you've seen just like any film where the two love interests are like fighting in the beginning and then they're in love in the end like for instance the empire strikes back philadelphia story there's a million of them this film starts with the two of them being emotionally distant and then about halfway through culminates in them reconnecting Mm -hmm. they reconnect when spock has this realization after trying to mind meld with an alien robot that's trying to kill the universe that (laughs) v'ger doesn't know what emotion is and doesn't know what quote this simple feeling is which he says while clasping Kirk's hands and making eye contact with him Mm -hmm. while he's laying in a hospital bed yeah it's very romantic and it's just like the V'ger needs to know our love yeah and 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 then the other half of this is that V'ger has assimilated this woman Lieutenant Ilea who was secretly in love with Captain Decker, who's this other person in, in the movie who was supposed to be the captain. Who had he had been the captain of the Enterprise while Kirk was an admiral. And then Kirk um, is like, I have to be the captain again. I'm right. kicking you out. He demotes him. Anyway, Decker had been in love with Ilea. V'ger kind of like becomes Ilea somehow. And then in order to teach V'ger what the simple feeling is, they give it Captain Decker... And he merges and they kind of make out in like a, a oh my God. bright pool of light. Yeah, they get absorbed into a beam of light. And then um, V'ger, the um, space traveling 
not Galactus somehow, but it like basically behaves like Galactus from the Marvel Universe Eater of Worlds. Anyway, so V'ger like explodes in this fantastic burst of light and energy and it's just like, could you get any more overt with your orgasm comparison here? (laughs) Yeah, so we have these heterosexual characters who are in love who teach V'ger what love is by both becoming part of V'ger, and that resolves V'ger's need to discover something more. So it's heterosexual romantic love is the feeling that they teach V'ger after beforehand sort of opaquely alluding to the feeling that is between Kirk and Spock. So I I think this is a very uh, thorough and convincing textual analysis that um, I am apt to agree with. That being said, it's buried in like a two and a half hour long ass movie that is mostly music and lights. So I missed it. Yeah. If you've seen this and you missed it, I don't blame you. Yeah, well, um, I, so I will say one thing that really supports it and is otherwise super weird in this episode is that as soon as Ilea is introduced as a character, like her second line is, <laughs> um, my oath of celibacy is on record, Captain. He announces that in the front of the whole bridge crew and it's like, what? Why? Who Who the fuck cares that you have an oath of celibacy? Why is it so important? Yeah, okay, so I, I have two thoughts on that, right? So, so my first thought, which is probably the thought I had 10 years ago when I watched this, is that Kirk's reputation precedes him. And because he's, like, looking at her and, like, saying hi and being friendly, she's like, I don't have sex with men. <laughs> Back the fuck off, Captain, right? Yeah. Which is, I, I, I think, probably the way a lot of audience members read that. Um, but you also get this information that uh, even though Ilea and, and Decker are obviously in love, mm-hmm. that they have this unconsummated union. Yes. So it's an analog of Spock and Kirk's unconsummated love. Yes. It's an obstacle, like Spock and Kirk's obstacle is that Spock has decided to uh, rid himself of all emotion through the Vulcan ritual of Kulinar. So he's got this emotional distance between himself and Kirk at the beginning of the movie, whereas Ilea and Decker, who have this emotional closeness, have this physical distance. Mm -hmm. Can I play the... I'm going to play the scene. Yeah. Yeah, so just in case you weren't convinced, Spock is laying in his hospital bed. He's trying to explain to Kirk what he learned from his mind meld with V'ger and has grabbed his whole forearm and they are now holding hands and staring intently into each other's eyes. Were you right? about feature a life form of its own a conscious living entity feature has knowledge that spans this universe and yet with all its pure logic feature is barren cold no mystery Answers. 
starts asking questions. What questions? Is this all that I am? Is there nothing more? They were also, they were making like eye contact and they both seemed like they were moved and they were like nodding like, yeah, I know what you mean. Like that long pause mm -hmm. that there was just like a lot going on on their faces mm -hmm. just then. Best friends? Yeah. I really like that scene though. It takes its time like the rest of the movie takes its time, but it's very much like, yeah, we're in love and Vijay needs to know about love. And going back to the Slash fandom, if you Google this scene, you will get a bunch of renditions on YouTube set to different romantic songs. It took me a long time to find one without ridiculous music in the background. It sounds like it's from Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> so the ship is real. Mm-hmm. So before we kind of wrap up and go to break, I want to mention a couple other attractions that I noticed. Ilea, besides saying that she's celibate to everybody in the bridge, says very few lines until... Her body is taken over by the Viger consciousness, in which point in time she is the mouthpiece for this machine. And then she comes back wearing a very, very short kind of robe tunic thing, which apparently in production they wanted the actress to be entirely nude, but she was like, I ain't gonna do that, which like, <laughs> good for her. Bodily she autonomy. Refused. And they're like, what if you're just in some nylon that makes you look nude? Still <laughs> She's basically immediately objectified and dehumanized as soon as she becomes this mouthpiece for V'ger. It's upsetting because she's yeah. nearly the only female character with any lines whatsoever and she has very few of them as herself. Yeah, and I, I also just think her boyfriend is like not upset enough that she died and like still wants to have sex with her once she's the V'ger mouthpiece. Just super weird. Mm -hmm. They do promote Nurse Chapel to being Dr. Chapel. That's true. But she only has a handful of lines. She's barely on screen and what we get instead is Bones bitching about how she's not going to take orders as readily anymore. <laughs> oh man. You'd think that being Gene Roddenberry's wife would get you more screen time, but no. No. What it achieves is that she gets to be the voice of the computer in perpetuity, which... I'm on board with. Oh, also she gets to be Loxana Troy, one of my favorite, all-time favorite characters. Yes. <laughs> Daughter of the 12th house. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah. All right. So um, on that somewhat meandering note, let's go to break and we'll, we'll be right back. Hello, intertractional listeners. Becca here to invite you to join the San Francisco Sex Positive Democratic Club. If you are interested in advancing the ideals of sex positivity in local governance and discourse, this is the Democratic Club for you. We define sex positivity as a philosophy that all consensual sexual behavior between adults is inherently healthy. We support and work to create sex-positive public policy. We help elect qualified sex-positive candidates, especially those who are non-monogamous, kinky, sex workers, LGBTQ, and members of other alternative sexual communities, as well as their allies. We work to sensitize and educate all Democratic candidates and office holders, the Democratic Party, and the community at large to the issues and concerns of these communities. To learn more and become a member, visit sfspdc.org. You can also find more information on our Facebook page by searching San Francisco Sex Positive Democratic Club. Welcome back! 
Welcome back. So when we were talking about this episode, Becca asked me, like, do you think their love for each other is real? Or do you think that people were just fishing and like seeing what they wanted to see? Which sort of launched this whole expedition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But my immediate response was, I feel like at least a lot of it's on screen because Daniel Mallory Orberg wrote this wonderful essay called Captain James T. Kirk is a beautiful lesbian and I contend daily with my feelings. (laughs) Which I I knew about from his description of it on his podcast, Dear Prudence. Mm. Which, you know, I mean, there's some misgendering of Kirk there. He's not necessarily a beautiful lesbian, although maybe he is. (laughs) But I think this says something about um, how much he's beloved by the LGBT community Mm. and how much of this textual love is is on screen and and how deeply people connect to it. And I would like to read a quote from that essay. Go for it. There's plenty of stupid surface level evidence I could marshal forth in defense of my argument. People criticize Shatner for his weight and women are often criticized for their weight. Shatner was beautiful in a way that generally women are beautiful. Which, yes. Mm. James T. Kirk lived with her longtime girlfriend, Spock, and her ex-girlfriend, Bones, in a benevolent feelings and sex triad that generally observed the campsite rule when it came to bringing short-term partners around. James T. Kirk is vulnerable and anxious and riddled with sincerity and in love with her car. James T. Kirk wears motorcycle boots and seems to spend a lot of time on her hair. I love that. I especially that she's in love with her car. It's yes. so real. Yeah. Oh, God. Especially after watching the motion picture. Oh, my God. No one else can have my car. Mm-mm. So that was beautiful. Uh, I also wanted to have like a, a larger discussion of did Gene Roddenberry intend this or not? But Gene Roddenberry had been inspired by the relationship between Alexander the Great and, uh, forgive me historians, Hephaestion? I I don't know how to pronounce his name, but a general who worked for him, whose friendship and relationship was sexual. And he often refers to this as, quote, the Greek ideal. Um, At one point, Roddenberry says, I think if I had given Kirk and the others what I suspect 23rd century values and morals may actually be, they would, as though it's real, they would have either angered or scared the pants off the average viewer or both. Quote from a different interview, yes, there's certainly some of that, certainly with love overtones, deep love. The only difference being the Greek ideal. We never suggested in the series physical love between the two. But it's the, we certainly had the feeling that the affection was sufficient for that if that had been the particular style of the 23rd century. He's saying that from a 23rd century uh, ideals perspective, they're definitely a couple. But from the perspective of 1979, he could not have brought that forth. Right. Finally, um, the most damning or heavenly evidence uh, is from the novelization of the motion picture in which there is a footnote Gene Roddenberry is a co-writer, and the footnote is in Kirk's voice. He says, I was never aware of this lover's rumor, although I have been told that Spock encountered it several times. Apparently, he had always dismissed it with his characteristic lifting of his right eyebrow, which usually connoted some combination of surprise, disbelief, and or annoyance. As for myself... Although I have no moral or other objections to physical love in any of its many earthly, alien, and mixed forms. 
I have always found my best gratification with that creature woman. Also, I would dislike being thought of as so foolish that I would select a love partner who came into sexual heat only once every seven years. Mm-hmm. And this this quote is so brilliant because it both could be used as confirmation or a denial. Mm-hmm. It's very tongue-in-cheek Kirk kind of holding back. He says he never heard the rumor. He doesn't say it's not true. Mm. (laughs) He says his best sexual gratification, but not only, is with women. And he says he wouldn't like people to think that he'd select a partner who only came into heat every seven years. But not that he hadn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. All right, I I have to calm down. What do you think? (laughs) I mean, I think that they are totally winking at it and that... I, I really appreciate that they're not like, ew, gross, how could you even think such a thing? They're they're much more like, yeah, we, we know that we probably couldn't have gotten it past the network executives to have them actually be in a romantic relationship, but fandom, go, do we encourage you to have this viewpoint and like roll with it because it, it brings attention, which would not otherwise have been brought. I also, like, I think that that last quote is, like, a nice argument for not only are they in a romantic relationship, but they're in an open relationship. Yes. Where Kirk and Spock have, or, like, Kirk is allowed to have other lovers because he's bisexual and, like, horny all the time. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he's like, I like women best, you guys. Right. And so the conclusion that I draw from that is that their relationship is much more like romantic than it is sexual, Mm -hmm. which is something that I spend a lot of time thinking about in my own life because I identify as Mm. bi-romantic or maybe pan-romantic, but bi-romantic, whatever, um, in that like I have romantic relationships with people of either or any sex, but I only have sex with men. And so I'm like, I'm into their, they're a romantic couple. They're like each other's um, person in the world or in the universe. But then they have this like loving, open relationship where they accept each other in their ways of being. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's worth noting that um, neither of them ever marry. Mm. And uh, we see both of their on-screen deaths. Or maybe we don't, because Spock comes back to life, and then he's in the new movies. I don't know. But um, as far as we know, Spock never takes a female wife. And uh, Kirk has a lot of failed romantic relationships with women. And one planet stands. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what I'm calling his away mission one night stands. Nice. One planet stands. I love it. So another thing that you mentioned, which I thought was kind of funny, is that when Chris Pine been portraying Kirk, one of the things that he was asked by like reporters is if in the Prime universe, Kirk and Spock are in love. I think he just kind of danced around ans- actually answering that question. Mm-hmm. But um, he was like Zachary and I aren't involved, right? Right. (laughs) As far as I know, the characters aren't. Yeah. He's like, we're not dating, but it is interesting that they cast Zachary Quinto Quinto as Spock, um, and also as an out gay person. Yes. So, like, good job once again on Star Trek for being progressive. 
Um, yeah, and then and then finally we wanted to mention that um, we we do now canon in the Star Trek universe have a gay couple. Yes. Um, in Paul Stamets and Hugh Culver in Discovery. Yes, and the gayest of gay couples, which I feel they because they they both cast men that are gay in real life, and men who got their um their most famous starts by starring in Rent, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the gayest musical, which I feel like is just is so much fan service. Yeah, and they're great, and their relationship, both when it is going well and when it is not going well, their relationship drives stories. It produces conflict that then needs to be resolved. So it's important. It's not just like something yeah. off to the side. Yeah, Bring one of in... the emotional cores of that series. Right. I don't think anybody else, well, you know, Michael Burnham and Ash Tyler are on again, off again, tragic love story, blah, 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 with a little side of fling on body mod, but whatever. It's not as compelling. It's, yeah, it's definitely not as compelling. Yeah. And then also in Discovery, in season two, they cast Tig Nataro, who talks about having a wife somewhere else in the universe, or maybe she's dead, I don't she's, remember. She she died in Michael's war. Mm. Mm. I mean, she, she codes as gay. And then they and then they then they have her say it, and so you're like, yeah, yeah. Next season, she's gonna hook up with Tilly. I don't know, you guys. I'm. <laughs> I mean, it's a little ambiguous to me how old Tilly is actually supposed to be. Sometimes it feels like she's like 20, and sometimes it feels like she's like in her early 30s. And yeah. it's like, how 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 old are you? Are you 17? What's yeah. going on? Yeah. Because she has the she has a friend who's like the queen of that planet who's also seventeen or something. Yeah. Whatever. This is a digression, but <laughs> we have representation, like on screen representation of not strictly heterosexual people. I think it's great. It's in line with one of the original intentions of Star Trek was to be quite progressive and to show to like challenge people into a new like way of understanding how people can interact with each other. Yay, Star Trek. Yeah. Gay space communism. <laughs> Yay, Star Trek. Um, so you might have other questions on your mind right now, like what if they are just friends? What's so wrong with that? Weren't you going to talk about Garrick and Bashir? That will be on part two of this episode. Mm-hmm. Please join us. Join us next time when we talk more about male characters being in love with each other and what that means or doesn't mean or what we've decided to give it meaning. Um, <laughs> yes. Words. Words are what we do. Yes. Um, live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Next week on Intertractional, My Dear Doctor, we discuss Deep Space Nine episodes Past Prologue, The Wire, Improbable Cause, and Our Man Bashir. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalisi and Becca Matola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kavka, production advice by Danny Kavka. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. Tell us what you think. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes. If you like this podcast, help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes. It really makes a big difference. Two-part episode. Do you want a few? Two-part episode?
two-part episode. Two parts. Not one. 